passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Ray Mysterio trying to prevent it, but Rollins... Rollins trying to sacrifice Ray Mysterio. Ray is fighting as hard as he can. The damage red eyes exposed. Trying to drive the previously injured eye back into the steel. It's out. And we are live, everybody. Welcome to the horror show at Extreme Rules Post Show. Can we at least say that for all the stuff we talk about when it comes to naming conventions and this specific one, what better title could properly summarize what we are about to endure slash recap than the horror show at Extreme Rules? Um, I mean, if you can't cuss, I suppose this would be the next best thing. How are you, Way? Doing okay. Doing all right yourself? I mean, I think we should uh, take notice of what we are about to review from Men losing eyes, men set on fire, men drowning. Um, th- this all happened. This all happened within ninety minutes. So I can tell you that it was it was a little jarring, but much like the professionalism that Tom Phillips and company exuded, I think we have to do the same and be able to uh, get past little details like that and uh, move on to whatever's coming up next. Okay, let's do it. Well. We are going to be taking your phone calls later on, so thanks to everybody for tuning in live. We will run through this pay-per-view, get to your feedback. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of it tonight, and we'll just see where where the night takes us. So our night began back at 6 o'clock Eastern with the kickoff show for the pay-per-view, hosted by Scott Stanford and Peter Rosenberg, along with some segments with Renee Young, JBL, and Booker T, and Renee Young, who... I've got to say, over the past while, I mean, Renee Young's always been pretty entertaining on Twitter. I think she's now reached the point of, like, I don't give an F. And she was having a lot of fun at some of the insanity that we saw on tonight's show. And it started on the kickoff show where, with a straight face, she said, All right, guys, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who's losing an eyeball tonight? <laughs> let's do, Let's get our predictions on the record. I can't imagine... Like, what was going through JBL's mind or Booker T's mind? I mean, you're talking about two guys who, I suppose, have had a lot of practice trying to um, make ridiculous storylines sound like they are real-life events. Um, (laughs) 
Yeah, you had JBL actually compare this to like matches with Otto Vance in Austria, where Otto Vance would always like you know attack his opponent's eyes. Like he was trying to bring in some like real old school analysis to it. Give give them their credit for for trying their best, but I mean, if anything, this was uh, I don't know. I I'm going to save everything for that particular match when we go to review it. A match that uh. Got advertised for a couple of hours today was Kevin Owens against Murphy, which was the kickoff match, uh, which when WWE tweeted it out, Kevin Owens replied to the tweet saying, well, I better get on over there then. <laughs> uh, so that was our uh, our two hour build up for this uh, kickoff match, which actually turned into be, I-, I thought, quite a good match between these two. Yeah, uh, we hey, had before that, you actually had the New Day talk about their tag team match. And this was only of note because it was something unusual in that they brought in ahead of their tables match, Devon, tables expert Devon. Okay, Douglas. I I tuned in at six thirty, so I missed I missed that that segment. So they yeah. brought in the the table master, I guess Devon Dudley. Yes, I mean you know, of course, like Big E has like you know very similar like um, I guess uh, uh, delivery promo style to to, to Brother Devon, Reverend Devon, and so it was kind of nice to see those two interact. But yeah, they were treating Devon as if he was sort of like. You know, a master of the tables to give them some advice and some tips. And uh great advice, Devon. Devon's advice. You put Don't get put through a table, and they did not follow the one rule of a table match. Yeah, I guess it wasn't worth that much. But uh I thought it was cool to get a little cameo there because these kickoff interviews tend to just be, you know, a bunch of real like nothing usually. So to have something different I thought was cool. Yeah, I I I am not dedicating a whole hour to watching these kickoff shows. I will tune in for the match. You watched that's, Impact. That's about so, it. You watched Impact so you could have a break. <laughs> that's that's true. Uh, so we had um, Owens uh, caught him off the turnbuckle, hitting a DDT, hit him with a cannonball. Uh, we had Murphy with a lot of, uh, of flying knees throughout this. He hit a Kamagoye and a Brain Buster for a two count. Then Owens blocked a superplex, dropping Murphy and hit that twisting moonsault of his, getting another two count. And as Owens ducked a Meteora, he hit the super kick and stunned Murphy for the win in eight minutes and 52 seconds. These two worked really hard. Like for a kickoff match, I thought by the end of this, I thought this is probably going to be one of the better matches of the night. And I thought it was. Pure wrestling match? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this was one of few, you know, pure wrestling matches. And these two really wasted no time. They came out and they had one objective. Has as, have as good of a wrestling match as they could in a short amount of time. No stipulations, no handicaps, and no bullshit. Just really hard hitting, very fast in and out. Pretty satisfying, I thought. Yeah, no, unfortunately, no no bullshit, no non-finish in this one, no, uh, no eyes coming out. So they just had to rely on a wrestling match. So... That's how we started things off. Um, the opening video literally compared this upcoming show to a car crash that you can't turn away and look from. And it gave you the ominous words, don't worry, it will all be over soon. Uh, which did not lie. This uh, pay-per-view clocked in at like two and a half hours. So I was not complaining about the sheer length of this show. It opened up with the tables match with New Day defending the SmackDown tag titles against Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro. Uh, we had Kingston wearing an armband for Breonna Taylor and Big E for Congressman John Lewis, who died on Friday at the age of 80. On the floor, Kingston uh, drop kicks Nakamura into the plexiglass and then nails Cesaro into the steps. 
Uh, Cesaro would later recover, and he hit the steps on Big E, and then that prompted uh, Nakamura and Cesaro to return to the ring, double-teaming Kofi. Big E would come back moments later, and he speared Cesaro to the floor, and they were so close to this table, um, but hit, landed on the floor. Then Big E launched Kofi over the top rope, and Cesaro and Nakamura held up a table, so Kofi went right into the, the vertical table. New Day had set up a, a stack of tables on the floor, and that would just exist on the floor. Big E was trying to superplex Cesaro, and Nakamura stopped it, and it, it uh, finished. When Kingston went for a Hurricane Rana to send Cesaro to the floor, it's blocked. And with Big E down, Nakamura assisted Cesaro as they powerbombed Kofi through both tables stacked on top of each other on the floor. And Cesaro, Cesaro and Nakamura win the tag titles in 10 minutes and 24 seconds. Good match. You know, um, I thought heading into this pro- uh, pay-per-view, the ma- the program was completely cold. The division really is completely cold. But I had no doubt that these guys, when put together in an in-ring setting and given enough time that they would have a great match. And they absolutely did, you know. Despite there, like, only being one table spot, I thought the match was absolutely full of activity from start to finish. Kofi and Biggie in particular, I felt were really, like, active and, and bouncing around for the entire duration, all the way till the end. And you had a very good, satisfying double table break by the finish. Yeah, I, I thought it was, like, right around the level I anticipated going in. I thought it was going to be good. It was good. Um... And yeah, it's, you know, it's another tag team in the mix now with Nakamura and Cesaro winning the tag titles and New Day, what was this, the end of their eighth title reign, I believe? I absolutely think it's time to break these two into singles runs by this point. There's absolutely no more story to tell with the two of them going for those tag titles again. I have zero desire to see them go for like a, what is it, a ninth title reign now? Who gives a shit? You know, instead, like, I really want to see both of these guys go for singles belts. Imagine these two after tonight setting a goal. We want to each hold singles titles. Kofi goes for the world title again. Big E goes for the IC title or even vice versa. You know, let's have some fresh matches, some fresh stories for these two. Um, And man, Nakamura and Cesaro, let them fight heavy machinery or Lucha House Party or something. I don't honestly, I don't think Nakamura, Nakamura and Cesaro are really going to lead a refresh of a very cold division. But Kofi and Big E, I think, could mean a whole lot for a singles division. Well, unfortunately, the main title is being contested in a swamp uh, for the time being. So I, I don't know uh, how much uh, you can navigate the the world title picture. But I, I'm I'm down for some fresh ideas for Kofi Kingston and Big E at this point. I think that you know much the the story of this show to me is that you know you have so much talent on this roster, but there are some significant issues when it comes to getting these stars over and the creative that they are handicapped by and in some ways just absolutely brutalized by. Oh, we'll talk about all that later. Well, uh, we go uh, to the back and Alexa Bliss and the Kabuki Warriors are giving Nikki Cross a pep talk uh, to get ready for her match with Bailey. And Kyrie Sane added that even if you lose, we'll still be your friends, which was nice. I mean, that would that would suck if they said, you know, you lose this match, my friendship goes with it too because I will not associate with a loser. So I thought that was that was nice of Kyrie saying to kind of give this cushion that even worst case scenario, we'll still be your friend. We don't hear Kyrie speak all that often anymore. And so um, uh, obviously she felt pretty strongly about reminding them that, yes, we will still be your friends even if you lose. Now, it would be great if... 
they do a scene eventually where Nikki Cross goes up to Kyrie and says, "You you weren't just saying that, right? You're you're still gonna be my friend even though I lost." And Kyrie's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, but I'm leaving now." So I mean, long distance friends. Hmm. Bailey and that that was such a um, uh, it's fine. What am I supposed to say? Oh man, that would be great. Bailey and Nikki Cross for the SmackDown women's title. Uh, we've got Sasha out there and Alexa in the corners. And throughout this match, did you notice this? That uh, Sasha had put the women's title around her waist and was wearing it for the whole match on the floor. Did not notice that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. She was like looking down at it. She had this thing on. Um, Cross surprised Bailey early uh, with a near fall and then hit a tornado DDT. Then Bailey took over. They did these spots wrestling in the ring skirt. And then Nikki disappears under the ring. She comes out the opposite side and Sasha screams. I don't know what was so frightening. Like, it's look who it is. It's the person who's in the match that's climbing from one side to the other. Well, she didn't expect her to pop out out of the other side. Caught her off guard. Well, Bailey then got out of a crossface and hit the Bailey to belly. Cross kicks out of that. And then Cross is attacking Bailey's ribs. Bailey then knocks her off the turnbuckle, lands a knee strike, and then Bailey and uh, Bailey runs at Cross, missing and running into the turnbuckle. Cross hits the spinning hangman's neckbreaker to the floor, and then Banks passes along her her boss. Uh, like what would you call knuckles. this? Like I mean, they're... it's like brass knuckles, yeah. but um, I, I guess the the accepted kind that you can just wear as an accessory on your hand. And she passes this to Bailey who uses it behind the referee's back and pins Cross in 12-21. So this would be our, our – of some of the finishes tonight, I mean, this was almost clean by by later standards. But uh, this was kind of our, our way to beat Nikki Cross. But, of course, you can't just beat someone. you you, you got to protect them so no one gets over. So that was the ending here. And – I guess this will only be interesting if we see this take Nikki Cross into some kind of direction where they kind of dive deeper into like her character and and make something out of this because this was all built up like Nikki can't blow this match and she ultimately did but with the caveat that it was through a foreign object. If if it's a criticism of this show that there weren't enough clean finishes uh and I don't even think that is any of their concern to be quite honest with you. Um this would have definitely been a match where I think you could have afforded a clean finish because if you're going to go on to tell this Nikki Cross, um, you know, disappointment story, she's already lost twice in, in a row on prior editions of SmackDown. For her to lose again clean, I guess, would further that particular narrative. But I mean, that I think actually now that I mention it, it almost like because she's lost clean twice, you almost have to have her redeem herself by having her almost be able to win, but the opponent ending up cheating in order to really save face. So I guess it absolutely like makes sense that she would lose by cheating. Um, good match, I thought. I enjoyed the back and forth. I did feel personally that there wasn't quite enough variation throughout it, not necessarily even any enough memorable spots or psychology to keep me interested for its entirety. So I would have really enjoyed it a lot more if it was like about five minutes shorter. But everything that, that was there, I thought was really solid. And a longer match like this allows Nikki Cross to really shine. Um, she doesn't get these opportunities too often in singles environments. So uh, I thought she looked great here. I, th- I thought it was average. I thought that the the, the finish kind of took it down for me. I would have. Ra- I think you could have got to this exact same spot with something a little more um, 
thought provoking or creative other than this just felt like it was so basic that um was just our way out of it more so than anything that's going to be built upon um we'll see we'll see where they go with this with Nikki Cross it was the right outcome though of Bailey keeping the title and then after as they're walking up the ramp you can see Sasha kind of eyeing the women's title um then we go to this spot where Bray Wyatt is dressed up. They were comparing him later to Dr. Frankenstein. And it's like this, this black and white video where it's all, it's like grainy uh, film that it's uh, shot on. And he promises that the worst is yet to come, which was not a lie. And he says that we are now going to throw to the most horrifying, revolting, disgusting footage. And they aired the beginning of the SmackDown karaoke showdown, which might have, no, was the funniest bit on this entire pay-per-view. They even had like a hand-drawn SmackDown logo because this was like, you know, the Firefly Funhouse. Um, Bray tells the rabbit that was the wrong clip, uh, but I thought this was very funny that they could poke fun at themselves. Tom Phillips then announces that the... So so that was Bray, like the, the Mr. Rogers Firefly Funhouse Bray. As opposed to, um, you know, uh, follow the buzzard spray or of course yes. the fiend. So you had appearances from all three personalities here. Um, and then we had the announcement from Tom Phillips that the United States title match is not taking place. And the reason they gave here was that Apollo did not pass his pre-match physical. And they are using the attack by Bobby Lashley as the reason for him not being here. And Apollo has not been on TV for weeks. So... I don't know what the exact reason is, but they obviously had enough faith that this was this match was going to happen because they had Apollo Crews out doing media this week promoting this match and this pay-per-view. And they had people in the crowd wearing Crews shirts and you had MVP build up to this particular match even on the kickoff. So something is definitely fishy. Um, you know, makes you wonder at the very least why they didn't announce announce this on the kickoff. Um so I don't know. And MVP and Bobby Lashley came out and they laughed about Lashley hurting Cruz so badly. MVP announced himself as the new champion, put the title around his waist. And I thought for sure this was setting up to the replacement challenger coming out like a ricochet or someone, but they didn't bother to do that. It was just a promo segment. He declared himself the new champion and that was it. You know, if we were going to get Apollo versus MVP, which to be honest, I, I had mild interest in, but if you're telling me that you, you have to cut it, I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, I don't need to see a raw match on this show. I was fine with just cutting it all together versus, you know, just filling time here. Uh, they ran a promo confirming SummerSlam for Sunday, August 23rd. And then in, I thought, surprising placement for this, the eye for an eye match is next with Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio. Um, yeah, yeah, I was surprised this went so early. I was a little surprised too, and you know the fact that this went forward uh, in the middle of the card told me that Oscar versus uh, Sasha might have had a chance at main eventing, but instead um, in, they went with the the what is it um, swap match, and uh, yeah, I, I I seeing the end result, I I <laughs> I can see what what their thinking was. Yeah, I don't know. I still believe you could have ended the show with this. Any, I, I actually, dude, any I, of them, it doesn't matter. I think that no, this one following this, this the end of this drastically, I think, affected the rest of the show. That it was so over the top that it harmed the next More match over the for top sure. Than the, the, the last match, um, I 
if they you were could, both over the top and you needed to space them out. I th- I think this was the the if you were going to go off with something, it's the words "it's out" by Samoa <laughs> Joe because you're you're not coming back from that after. I guess it's debatable. The man's eyeball is rolling on the floor allegedly. So Mike Rome get, uh, explained the only way to win this match is by extracting one's eyeball, and he did this with a straight face. Credit to him. Rollins came out with a pair of pliers. I wonder if these were from uh, Hunter and Batista's match last year. Uh, and Mysterio comes out and goes right after Rollins. If ever these two started this match with a lockup, that would have been the end of it. Um, Ray was de- determined to hit a 619 on him. Must have been working on these 619s to go right for the orbital. <laughs> uh, Mysterio brought a toolbox out and he pulls out this pipe, but it's not just a pipe. Joe informs us that's rebar. And Rollins then catches Ray with a falcon arrow on the edge of the apron. And we're get I mean, to their credit, pretty much all their offense was geared around going for the guy's eye, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you weren't sure of that, Rollins would yell out every now and then, I'm going to get the eye. <laughs> I'm coming for the eye. So Mysterio used a drop toehold, sending Rollins into the edge of the desk, um, Phillips totally bought this as the, uh, oh, did he get him? Did he get him? Rollins then came back with kendo stick shots. He set up the stick into the corner and tried to drive Ray's eye into it. This prompted Ray to make his comeback, including a sliding on the canvas into a Canadian destroyer on the floor that sent Rollins flying into the barricade. It was more kind of like a sunset bomb as well, but very similar to Trey Miguel's spot. Uh, at Slammiversary the night before, and therefore I called this the Trey Mysterio. Nice. Mysterio then hits the 619, and Rollins is holding his right eye after Mysterio had attacked the eye. Mysterio hits the stomp on the floor and then shoves Rollins into the edge of the, the steps with the eye, and Rollins stops him with a low blow which is a very justifiable time to low blow a man is when he's about to take your eye out. And then he super kicked Mysterio, hit him with the stomp, and then he takes Ray's head and he drives the right eye into the steps. Rollins looks at the damage he has inflicted. We cannot see it, but Rollins is in horror at what he has done. Mysterio is screaming for help. Joe, with his, uh, my God, he is broken in half moment. Gives us the line, it's out. And then Seth Rollins proceeds to vomit on the floor. 17 minutes and 48 seconds. Seth Rollins wins by eye extraction. Yeah. Um, I love this fucking match. I thought this was awesome. Hello? Are you still there? Did, did I lose you, John? I'm processing this. <laughs> Uh, I thought this is so creative. Like, we talk about body part psychology all the time. How, how, I, this match absolutely fulfilled it. Obviously, it's completely ridiculous that the thing that they're focusing on is a man's eyeball, and the intent of the match is to rip a man's eyeball out. But I accept it. You line out the rules for me at the beginning of the match, I will buy anything. And throughout the entire match, they came out with incredibly creative ways of targeting the eye. You know, uh, every spot was geared towards one thing, attacking an opponent's eye. Um, I thought throughout, like, the entire build, they did a great job using those stairs as sort of like an ultimate weapon that you can't come back from. 
the teases have been great anytime they tried it. And these two men essentially like built an entire match around that concept. Uh, like good dramatic teases. I mean, I had a lot of fun watching this. You just have to be able to accept the ridiculousness of it. You know, if you're going to sports entertainment, sports entertainment as hard as you fucking can. And I thought these two did that. Like this is the type of shit I think we would have all watched as six-year-olds and we would have like freaked out and we'd have that memory for the rest of our lives. So on top of that, I mean, I thought it was just a well-worked match. The match I really had no issue with. I thought I thought the match was was actually really really great. Um, it was everything about the ending, and I I hated this part at, at the end. That for all you want to say about how ridiculous this has been, the counter argument would be that this is going to get Seth into this maniacal villain role if he takes out this guy's eye, and they couldn't even help themselves that once they get to this mark. We've got to put in a spot where this dude vomits on the ground. And I thought it was like any work you have done uh, was completely negated by such a stupid idea to throw into this because we got to get our cheap joke in because we have uh, a chairman that just gets off on vomit humor. I and a- I absolutely feel like prior instances of vomit in professional wrestling have been exactly that. I did not necessarily think this was just done to make Mintz laugh. You had to sell the gruesomeness of this injury. He looked horrified. You didn't have to go to this length of him vomiting on top of it. That was just so stupid. And to me, it just, it took, it took any uh, drama away from this. Any concern you would have on Ray. Concern and drama, even for you prior to that, to the, to the vomit. You, you had a serious tone to this because of the, the eye injury. Like you're doing a major injury here. And then you completely just might as well have added the laugh track with the vomit here to where Seth doesn't even come out of this as this maniacal villain. It's, it was completely unnecessary. I hate that that idea was pitched and I hate that these two didn't stand their ground and say, no fucking way are we doing this vomit thing after we've spent two months on this angle for this big payoff, which may end up being raised right off and we're going to have vomit at the end of this. I thought it was fucking awful. It's possible. It's possible. Or they could have been into the vomit. Who knows? I mean, um, I, I feel like then they have no instincts. I, and I have a hard time imagining that. I just Uh, thought it was such an awful idea and should not have happened. We're playing in the field where the goal of the match is to rip your opponent's eye out. And if you're going to go that far, you might as well go fucking all in. And I thought they went all in. Like by the time the vomit came, I'm like, it fits perfectly with the tone of this match. And it was like, a visual end to the match without having to, having to actually see a prosthetic eye pulled out of a man's head. You know, you had to have a level of gore attached to this. And I, I suppose to them, vomit was the way you end this match. And I had no issue with it. I thought it was fun. Well, uh, I thought this... Uh, this pay-per-view came to a uh, screeching halt at, at, at this moment. Um... Because we had to follow this and continue on with a show after a man's eyeball uh, may have ca- may have come out. Uh, we go to Byron. Sa- First, we did a, a an Undertaker promo, and then we come back with Byron Saxton, who is hopeful that this this is not going to affect Rey Mysterio's life. Depends <laughs> on how much a premium you put on your vision. And then Bailey is acting concerned, but then just laughs about Rey Mysterio that he's not seeing double. She's got two titles and brought in Sasha Banks to set up the match that had to follow this, 
Asuka and Sasha Banks. And I thought this was just a terrible position that the most intriguing match on paper had to follow this. Yeah, I mean, tonally, it is very different. Um, I definitely won't argue that. Uh, but I enjoyed the last match, and I was looking forward to this one. So for me, it's like, great, awesome. Like, the rest of the show looks looks great. Bailey and Kyrie Sane are out, and they're ringside for the match. And Banks took over with a Fujiwara setup and is pulling back on Asuka's fingers. Uh, Banks later took Asuka off the apron, powerbombed her into the plexiglass, which got, got a beating throughout this pay-per-view. Asuka then lifted Banks from the edge into a bridging German, and they got into a series of ma- uh, of near falls, and this really picked up, and they were having uh, a tremendous match. And you and I are coming at it from different perspectives. This I thought was an awful position for them that they had to overcome that for me. And I thought they did. Um, uh, but for you, if, if for me, it was, started it, off and you were into it for me, it was a buffet. I had like my kids <laughs> dessert and then I had my steak. That's a weird transition to go to. But um, if you like ice cream before a steak, sure. Well, there's more, um, aren't you worried though ice, that you more ice cream to come after this so you might vomit though by the end <laughs> with all that ice cream oscar then sent banks off the top turnbuckle with a suplex but banks rotated landing on her feet and then she went off the turnbuckle and slipped and yells at the referee to get out of her face she's holding her knee this was just a um spot that like really didn't affect the match all, all that much but it just seemed like it was a slip and they just had to like reset um, meanwhile, Kyrie and Bailey start fight, fighting on the floor with Bailey hitting a Bailey to belly. Oscar and Banks are going back and forth with counters, ending with the Oscar lock applied. Bailey then tosses one of the titles in. So the referee takes the title to turn his back and misses Sasha tapping out. And Oscar then hits Bailey with a head kick. Banks has the belt. The referee pulls the belt away and Oscar comes back with the green mist. Missing Sasha and hitting the referee in the eyes. So this allows Bailey to nail Asuka with the belt shot. Bailey puts the referee's shirt on and then Banks counts three as Banks, sorry, Bailey counts three as Banks covers Asuka and announces Sasha Banks as the new women's champion. It went 20 minutes so, and so, 13 seconds. Well, so here's the thing is that like Sasha, uh, what is it? Bailey called for the bell. The timekeeper didn't actually ring the bell until Bailey went over to threaten and him. Forced him to. Forcing him to ring the bell. Now, I, I don't know if this will be officially recognized under whatever, I don't know, rule set. I'm expecting like, you know, you have some sort of like uh, dusty finish tomorrow. But what I, I hate is that they played Sasha's music. The fact that they played Sasha's music tells you that somebody in the back recognizes this as, you know, a legitimate finish. I thought that took away from it. Um, but I, I I don't know if you can accept this as like, you know, a, a proper finish. I think everyone looked at it as a non-finish. But to me, it was just, it was an awesome, awesome match that they had. And it was just the, they couldn't overcome the, the way that this match had been booked to end. It was just, it, it just, to me, torpedoed uh, at the end with all of this. But that said, I thought they had a great match. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree. You know, I thought the the, the bulk of the match was really good. Beautiful chemistry, again, with these two. Uh, excellent submission work. Uh, I love, like, Sasha's, like, you know, little uh, bits of joint man- manipulation attached to all of her arm work and just great transitions between submissions from both of them. There was a part that I... 
I definitely think Sasha got busted here because you could see blood on like like blood stains on 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 their arms. And for like the last like three, four minutes of the match, they were all shot from far away with Sasha's hair direct, like completely covering her face. And even like by the by the end of the match, as uh, they're walking up the ramp, holding the titles, Sasha the whole time was covering for her forehead. So definitely makes you wonder um, what what might have gone on and what sort of editing might have took pla- taken place here. Um, but I have to say, like, finish aside, I thought it, I, I thought it was a match that I was captivated by the entire time. Yes, the finish was full of shenanigans, but, um, I, I mean, it tells you that it's setting it up for a rematch. Although if, if the case is that they're not going back to this match and instead just did one of these finishes to avoid, uh, you know, somebody like Sasha from getting pinned, I would be disappointed by that. But if this was to build to a rematch for SummerSlam or TV even, um, I could understand it. Yeah, it's to me, I, I think it's all in how you execute it, that I'm not completely against the idea of, you know, you, you have to prolong feuds beyond one pay-per-view cycle. Like, that's just inevitable. It's how you get there and do so in a creative way. And that, to me, is, you know, hands down where you see with AEW, like, they do not rely on finishes like that. And, mm-hmm. and I think it, it, it really, it's not something that you can just look at week to week as something better or worse, but it's something that's established over time that you realize when there's a big match promoted, you know that they're not going to backdoor their way out and they're going to leave you satisfied. And I think that that does resonate. Whereas on a WWE pay-per-view, the idea of a fuck finish is completely viable and, and many times expected. And I think it's disappointing when you throw people out and they have a phenomenal match and they can't overcome a finish. And that's, how I felt at the end of this, um, regardless yeah. of where they're going, it's it was just too much at the end, and I think you could have still prolonged this, but done it in a a more digestible way that would have been meeting people halfway. It's true, yeah. I mean, I think that that goes very much to like the the booking styles that are different between you know AEW and WWE and even NXT. But I I almost get the sense like WWE feels like as long as they they are giving you in ring time, in ring content. You know, they feel like their audience on a, buying a pay-per-view or watching on a pay-per-view will be satisfied. And it's probably not the case at all. Um, but that also, to me, doesn't discount the excellent work these two did in between the two bells, you know, which I, I thought were fantastic and very enjoyable. No, b- both were great. Both were great in this. Charlie has an update for us. Rey Mysterio has been taken to a local medical facility, and he could have a condition called... Globe luxation. Glo- <laughs> globe luxation. Okay. Globe luxation occurs when the globe is displaced anteriorly beyond the orbital rim with retraction of the eyelids behind the globe and tethering of the optic nerve. So when, and, your, so when your eye gets popped out, and, but, but your optic nerve isn't severed. So what Charlie is trying to say is that he may be able to retain his vision. Right. She she could have just added, it's all up to Ray if he signs a contract. <laughs> wow, interesting. Okay, so they're going to um, uh, leave us. I was going to say leave us hanging. But um, anyway, so we don't know if he's uh, coming back yet. If he signs, then he can see. If not, he will be blind permanently. <laughs> yes, that's that's probably uh, that. Those are the options his doctor will present to him. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, um, yeah. Um, again, like I feel if you had ended this, uh, this show with that spot of everyone horrified, uh, eliminate the vomit and you go off the air of what's going to happen to Ray, I think that would drive a lot of people to Raw the next night out of curiosity to see how they follow up. And I, I you think could, you have that anyway. Maybe, maybe you do. Um, to me, it was like, that would be, it's almost like you had this, this, uh, moment of extreme concern, but you had to get past that because we had another hour and a half of this show to go afterwards. That to me, by the end of the show, I don't know what stuff, if it's the first thing you're thinking about. But you hated the vomit. You thought it was like... No, know. I'm saying eliminate the vomit completely. Oh, I didn't okay. want the vomit at all under oh. any circumstance. Understood. Drew McIntyre, Dolph Ziggler for the WWE title. Ziggler comes out and the stipulation is that it's going to be an extreme rules match, but only for Ziggler. Playoff rules, but only for one team. Yeah, so basically Dolph can uh, use any weapons. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, and also Drew can't get DQ'd or candidate without losing the belt. Mm-hmm. Yes. See, see, when they announced this, I was like, oh, man, why not just announce this on TV? You know, it's hardly a stipulation that I think is worth saving for a pay-per-view. And in fact, you might have, you know, I, I don't know, maybe. Brought maybe maybe Drew was freaking out all week thinking it was going to be an eye for an eye match. Wow. Let the guy, let the guy worry all week. Well, I don't think Dolph would put himself in that situation. Though, so it would probably be like an eye for nothing match. He should, he should have really been a lot more creative with the match stipulation. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so there's a table set up on the floor, and Drew gets Ziggler up for a vertical suplex, but then he has to rotate himself so that he doesn't put him through the table. So they had to be very creative here. I with, thought that was really clever. It was. It was. I'm not being sarcastic. He's like, you know, mid-suplex, he realizes that if he does this, he will get DQ'd and he will lose the belt. So he pivots mid-suplex. And and the suplex is Dolphin the floor. I, I I thought that was really smart. Ziggler just kicks McIntyre low, hits him with chair shots. Uh, they're fighting on the floor on the desk, and then McIntyre has to beat the count back in. He goes for the Claymore, but it's stopped with a chair shot to the knee and a zigzag for a two count. Ziggler continues to attack him. He puts him through a table on the floor after coming off with an elbow uh, with Drew going through the table. But Drew gets in at the count of nine, hits another zigzag and a urinagi onto chairs. Drew kicks out and Ziggler, Ziggler yells, why won't you die? And Ziggler then sets up for the super kick and McIntyre pops up Claymore and pins him in 15 minutes, 24 seconds. I thought that these two did a very good job. They didn't overstay their welcome. I thought 15 minutes was all this needed. Um, it was kind of a finish out of, out of nowhere, but um, that's you know, what the Claymore is. That's what the Claymore is, and Drew looked strong here. I never felt that you were ever able to get Ziggler across as uh, this title was ever in doubt, mm -hmm. but they worked hard for the 15 minutes. I really don't have much to complain about with this. It, it definitely exceeded my expectations, you know, um, and I thought they used the stipulation really well, totally stacking the odds against Drew just to place Dolph on that even playing field. Um, I thought everything was really well executed. Weapon shots were as hard as they need to be from Dolph to Drew. And I thought the wrestling was crisp as it could have been. And the story in the end, I thought was pretty, like, was told well. Like, they were definitely against very tough odds to try to get anybody to buy into a Dolph versus Drew program on a pay-per-view. 
And I will say after watching the build, I thought I didn't think they were successful at all. And, and I almost feel like they if they had announced this stipulation, I think there might have been at least a chance at a bit more interest. But if you were curious enough to watch the match, I think you would have been very satisfied with what you saw here. Yeah, I and I th- I think that that goes to, you know, where what what this was lacking. It was like any kind of story going going into this and not so much the match like they delivered on the match portion here. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, it's, you know, it was pretty much a makeshift or a, a, just a stopgap for Drew McIntyre uh to set up now for for SummerSlam to where he's going. After this, it is time for the Wyatt Swamp fight. And if there's anything you want to go back and replay, it doesn't even have to be the whole Wyatt Swamp fight. Just go to Michael Cole and Corey Graves teeing this thing up. It was uh, amazing. And we go out to the swamp where Bray Wyatt is in his rocking chair on this dark road and Braun Strowman pulls up, presumably in that in that truck he's had to get fixed now after the Miz and Morrison feud. And... Immediately, we note that Braun has not brought any weapons with him, so he's just going to destroy this guy the uh, the regular way. But then Braun uh, loses Bray because he disappears. And suddenly, these dudes in masks are attacking Braun, and he gets hit with a shovel. Who hit him with the shovel? He turns around, and there, under a mask, is Braun Strowman, who has attacked Braun Strowman. <laughs> I don't <laughs> This I was wish, the alter ego brains. I wish I could listen to your recap of this match with somebody who has not seen this pay-per-view. Um, that to me would be like the real meta entertainment of like me being a part of this review. But uh, it, it was the old Braun Strowman with the sheep's mask attacking the current Braun Strowman. Yes, he was battling. He was in the time continuum. This was very much like, like uh, Captain America versus Captain. Exactly. America. I was like, man, the sheep mask is Edith. Uh, that's right. Yes. Even dead, I'm the heel. Yep. Braun wakes up and he's chained, and we can go over the the feats of strength this man has shown us over the last five years. But these chains, they're. <laughs> Tip a truck all you want, but these chains ain't breaking at all from Braun. He cannot get out. And Bray walks in and announces he's already dead. It, it, it's it's um the it's classic it's, uh, classic Bray. Classic Bray. Old Bray theme song plays in the background. He's holding a gas lantern. Yes. And he's proud of Braun. He isn't Strowman's enemy. The human race is bacteria and an infection. And Strowman is just like you, is just like Bray. And he said that Strowman was a weapon, but he was the hand that wielded it. And Strowman refuses to go back and do all of Bray's bidding as Bray wants him to. So he says, yeah. all right, fucker, well, meet my serpent. Okay, well, before before all that, um, you know, he Bray, Bray at one point says, like, do you know where I've been? Worse than any place Braun can fathom. Bray says he's running through an endless pit, looking through his own eyes, and he can't control a thing. And often, like, yes, like, Bray Wyatt promos are just, like, whatever, in one ear, out the other. Uh, but, like, in situations like these, I, I actually really pay attention because I know the guy puts a lot of work into it. So he's essentially saying that Bray Wyatt, the human being, is schizophrenic. And this is my interpretation again, of course. But, like, this classic Bray is saying that he 
has been trapped in Bray's head, unable to come out. He's been looking through his own eyes, unable to control a thing. And essentially saying that Bray has been suppressing this side of his person, this personality as part of his uh, schizophrenia, uh, you know, ever since the fiend and the funhouse Bray have been around. And he says, no matter what, he's not going back. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely a depth to it, but isn't, hasn't he gone back? He's literally gone back to this character. Well, this character says he's not leaving now that he's but, back. But he says, I'm not going back. So he's not going back where? Into the, his head, suppressed. Okay. Well, <laughs> then they brought in the serpent. And the serpent bit Braun. And I guess he's, he like hallucinated um, because all of a sudden he's outside and he's unchained. So. You know, these, these swamps, they don't take care of themselves. You need to have, like, uh, a groundskeepers to, you know, take care of this, this swamp, the upkeep. It's owned by a wrestling performer who, in normal times, is traveling around the country. So these poor guys, they're just trying to protect their property from this madman who's been bit by a snake. And Braun starts attacking them and lights this dude on fire and howls in laughter at this man who... Charlie did not provide an update on. I'm hoping that these are um, these are not third degree burns because what I witnessed was at easily second degree murder attempt here from Braun Strowman. This guy's probably well. There's a swamp there. He probably jumped into. I hope so. I hope so. Then we hear a voice calling to Braun, and it's revealed to be Alexa Bliss telling Braun. So, so it's a tease. I mean, it was. They were teasing that it's Sister Abigail, and you see the same flashbacks to like uh, the, the like brief clips that we've seen in the past. They've used of Sister Abigail, and the veil is lifted up, and it's Alexa Bliss. Right, but Sister Abigail is dead. That was the whole thing. She was buried I on know. the property that Randy Orton lit on fire. You, you like when you're talking about this type of thing. You got to forget what's real, what's fake, and who's been dead, who's been alive. And you have to like think about this vision. It's in Braun's head. Yeah, that's that's how I took this. Not so much a, an attachment to Sister Abigail, though I can see people drawing that. So it doesn't connection. matter if she's alive or dead. This is all in Braun's head. And we get flashbacks to the Mixed Match Challenge. Because I guarantee you there were people watching this that would not necessarily understand this this connection between these two it's not like they yeah they, they teased it on that moment of bliss thing like they explained it a bit like a month or two ago but yeah. it's not like something that's been heavily focused on on raw or smackdown it was pretty exclusive to mix match challenge which it, we know nobody watched it's a pretty deep cut and you have to be like a pretty big wwe fan and somebody who's seen braun Strowman's career primarily like if you even watch some something like the mix match challenge which i I actually qualify. Um, you do. So when like they did this reveal and they basically used like the hinted at relationship between Alexa and Braun as like Braun's deep desire, um, I thought it was great. And it's it's all it's Bray. It's Bray fucking with this guy, and then he attacks him as Braun approaches the fake Alexa, and then all of a sudden, uh, it was. Alexa, bring back Bray. <laughs> and back came Bray. <laughs> they fought over to the water and off the uh, off the deck, Strowman chokeslams Bray into a boat 
that was able to operate on its own and drove off with the unconscious Bray Wyatt. But he comes back and they fight into the water and both go underwater. Strowman emerges, but and then kicks Wyatt into the water and Strowman announces it's over. As the graphic appears in the bottom right hand of the screen, um, but it's not over. Wyatt emerges from the water and we continue as he's got a mandible claw and they continue to fight in the water. Both men go underwater and it's the fiend that emerges. The screen turns red and the fiend emerges. Yeah. And they did the NXT false finish. Yeah. And I thought this was a, that, that was a clever portion to this. The fiend emerges and that's how the pay-per-view ends with the fiend yelling run. So I guess they wanted to do the, 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 you know, um, graphic thing or sorry what do you call that signature yeah they wanted yes. to do a signature false finish maybe that's why they wanted to they had to end the show i mean the show is called horror show and this is i guess the most horror show like of the of the matches so it made like i thought that made sense um so i guess the feed won i don't know how this will go down in the in the history books of uh the winner or the loser i guess I, I guess sure well what he should he should have insisted this was a title match then yeah yeah um he wasn't thinking. How, how did you think this one stacked up to to prior uh, and specifically to the the Cena one? This one I found like pretty interesting because I thought it was like coming off of WrestleMania. Much of the talk was about, oh, which one did you enjoy more, the Boneyard match or the Firefly Funhouse? I thought this was like a combination of them both, in that you had a location setting and really like a a, a physical match that took place here. Certainly uh, more so than the Firefly Funhouse, which is really just a skit and not really a match in itself. But you still have plenty of psychological elements from the Bray Wyatt character injected in the body of this, you know, essentially a phys- I mean, this was really a fight scene, too. I mean, I even hesitate to call this one a match. But mm-hmm. I thought the storytelling was pretty well done. It did not get as, I think, maybe complicated as the Firefly Funhouse. I mean, um, but I, I still thought... It was a psychological, like a game of psychological warfare between Bray Wyatt and uh, uh, this Braun Strowman character. I was expecting maybe, you know, even a few more throwbacks. I was half expecting Eric uh, Rowan to show up here. Um, Just, you know, like I I thought the Alexa thing really like got a big reaction out of me. I loved it. And I was kind of hoping for more kind of like shots like that. Uh, But by the end, it was like, I thought it was perfectly satisfying. You know, I didn't think it was as good as um the a lot of the other cinematic matches but i i enjoyed it um but i can also see plenty of people hating this uh, like they've hated a lot of those other matches do you feel that these ones could work better like for for bray obviously like he is you know very hands on with these that do these segments almost work better to build up a match versus being so focused on a pay-per-view as like the central focus Sorry, repeat that one more time. Like this. Is this better served to be presented on television to build up the SummerSlam match versus right. it gets its own slot on the pay-per-view? And in this case, headlining uh, the pay-per-view. Like, do you think this is satisfying enough for people that this is your your big focus on a pay-per-view? I, I think like this is more of a feature. And um, to me, like the answer to that is the argument of whether or not you should be putting – things that people are more interested in on TV or do you save them for the pay-per-view? Because if you have an opportunity to attract people to go to a destination to watch something like this, 
do you put, make that destination the WWE Network or do you make it USA on a Monday night? Yeah, I would say that if you're trying to sell the SummerSlam match, I mean, you're reaching the most people by doing this on on SmackDown. Um, now, you'd also probably be like this was this was 20 minutes, which yeah. I, I wouldn't say it was too long. Um, yeah, th- there were parts of it that, you know, maybe could have been. Uh, condensed a bit but it was i mean it was fine the the length of it uh can you get away with 20 20 minutes or so on network television that's a bit tougher i would argue that like being on your own over the top service might allow you like you know that your hardcores are signing up for might allow you to take more chances like this than like airtime on a national broadcaster like fox like if they showed this on fox uh I don't know. I think like even like the divisiveness you would see for a match like this amongst the hardcores, you would see that way more if this was like, you know, broadcast to somebody just scrubbing through on a Friday night, not knowing what the hell they're watching. Why the fuck is Alexa Bliss like all of a sudden in this match? Um, so I think there's that argument to be made, too. I do feel that for this one, they they did try, especially on Friday's episode and even in the tee up that Cole and Graves did like in in 40 seconds, they pretty much summarized that Braun has to go to this dark place to get rid of Bray Wyatt because he doesn't want the fiend to come back because of what that represents. So that's that's what he's fighting for here. And did and, he get there by burning that man on fire and then laughing about it? Right. Yes. Did he cross the line? Like, was it? The serpent was the serpent really Bray? Oh yes, yeah. I Who has sent this man uh, into all this? So I think going into this, this was much l- like the Firefly Funhouse. So much of it was around what is this going to be, mm-hmm. and everyone was watching it with you know curiosity of just what it entails. This one, I think most people, no one was looking at this as a match with a winner or a loser. I think everyone saw this as the bridge to get to SummerSlam, and they pretty much telegraphed this that. The end note has to be the fiend who has to emerge from all of this that Braun is running from. So you got there, and I think they tried to lead you in that direction as well. So it really comes down to what you felt about the 20 minutes of this film scene. Did it drag for you? Did it? Did the uh, special appearances work? And and most of all, do you care about the fiend versus Braun Strowman extended for another month? Which I mean, it's not the most enticing match, and that's what this 20 minutes was designed to push you in the direction of wanting to see another four weeks of this. Uh, definitely. I mean, it's it's been um, it's definitely been a challenge, but I think they've done a good job of making variations of all three matches. And uh, the first one, of course, was against the Mr. Rogers Bray. This one brought back classic Bray, uh, Swamp Bray in a cinematic match, and I think the third one will be very different. How they do a feed match coming off of Firefly Funhouse at WrestleMania will be really telling because I can't see them going back to the pre-WrestleMania type of Firefly Funhouse match, or sorry, whatever, um, like the red light, basically, match. I, do, I can't see them doing that again. Yet, can they go to the John Cena type of Firefly Funhouse and you've done this particular match tonight that was somewhat similar? Um, either way, like, I... I, I continue to like have a lot of faith in Bray Wyatt, the the performer and, and, and the creator and whoever really helps him with like the team that, that is behind him in creating all this. But I, I feel like he puts in a level of thought and creativity into these types of matches that you don't get for a lot of these other cinematic matches. Like compare 
I mean, okay, a lot of this is going to depend on how much you enjoy. But like, I personally enjoy any of Bray Wyatt's like, um, uh, I guess entries into the cinematic match uh, genre way more than something like, um, uh, what is it, the Money in the Bank match? Uh, man, I I don't even want to bring up Viking Raiders and Street Profits, but you know, even more than like Gargano Champa. To me, like some of those, some of these matches are just straight up matches. They're just people punching each other, but in a twenty four p frame rate, which makes to me like is stupid. Like, why do a pre tape things when you're just going to do that? Bray though, like he puts in like layers and like just like really like to me shows respect to people who've been watching close. Do you do you think that there would be more of a openness to this feud and i I don't even i i don't even know like if if people are necessarily like pro or con towards any of this the fact that the championship is also attached to this do you think Mm -hmm. that this could have been something like this to me it could exist on its own without the title yeah um but they're also they're also so short-handed now it's like there aren't that many candidates on smackdown right now which is kind of an indictment of who's over and who's not around yeah, um, that you I, could even who who would be your world champion now? I completely agree with you on that, and I think like you know the reason why like matches like this I think are met with so much negativity is the fact that people aren't being served like you aren't play. It's 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 tough to please everybody, but when like the people who come here for professional wrestling and want something closer to a New Japan style or an AEW style or an NXT style, when those people aren't satisfied. Um, you're going to get a lot more complaints before you get any sort of praise for a match like this. This to me is should be supplemental to you know a great five star level match. And you can argue like Bailey and Oscar fulfilled that. Sorry, Sasha and Oscar fulfilled that role, but you didn't give them a clean finish out, out of that one. And even if it was just one match, I mean, I don't know if that would have been enough to satisfy somebody to give them you know uh, something like this or the eyeball match. Um. And that that is a problem. I think I think that your your main event position on a pay per view it's not a, it's not as though whoever goes on last it's like the be all end all. But for your fan base, that is your last impression of the show, and that's why I would argue that I mean we we had to follow a man's eyeball potentially coming out. We had to follow that. So to me, it's. It's fine to do all of this stuff, but even if you had done this this Wyatt Swamp Fight thing, second from the top, middle of the show, it's weird to go from that closing shot of The Fiend back to the Performance Center. Mm. But I would argue that if they had decided that Asuka Banks is then going to close the show and you give people a satisfying finish, I think overall, people will be... Overall, things they didn't like, it's a lot lessened, and you come off with – when you finish on a high, I think that bumps up the entire show in people's opinion of how they, they leave a show afterwards. That if you if you leave them with something really, really strong, that that is going to be the last impression people have on a show and typically I think will feel better about a card. If 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 the finish to Bailey and Asuka – sorry, Sasha and, and Asuka was, was better, yeah, I agree. Uh which then you make the decision, like, is it so important that we do this fuck finish to continue this versus let's give them something satisfying for the sake of this particular show? Because I just thought tonight there was too much of that, of these finishes that, I mean, like our cleanest finish was Drew and Dolph, which to me was the the match that people had, you know, zero interest in going in. And so much of the rest of the show, it was a combination of everything. 
there is plenty to talk about on this show, and John and I have had our say. Now we want to open up to all of you. So call us right now. You can Skype in post wrestling or one seven three two eight hundred forty four twenty three. We will be taking calls uh, for the rest of the show, John. Yes. And uh, first, maybe now let's go get to some feedback in the forum. Well, tonight's poll gave this show a four point four two out of ten. So it did not it yeah. did not get a pass from our listeners. We will start things off with Aaron from Brampton. I don't know about anybody else, but I absolutely loved the Seth versus Ray match. I personally wish we saw an eyeball roll out, but I was still happy with the little bit we saw. Seth throwing up after the finish was an amazing touch. In a way, that was as realistic as it got because not everybody could stomach the slight the sight of another human's eye sticking out. I'm um, sure that was discussed. Like I'm sure that was like debated in the back. Do we actually pull the eyeball out? They they pretty much had promised you that in the, mm. in the lead up to this. I'm not complaining that they didn't do that because I think it takes it to another just ridiculous level. But that's that's pretty much what they were. T- like once you saw it, this match was being done like inside the arena, and like how do you even do it at that point? For, unless you had like a like a fake eyeball that you were going to try and pass off as. Uh, yeah, I, you, I don't you even know cut, what we're discussing you can cut right at now. Any point. Um, along with that, his whole demeanor after the finish just had me sold on his character. I know his promos can be hit or miss, but I find his body language and mannerisms to be very convincing. I enjoyed every match on this card except the main event. Oddly enough, it was the match I was most looking forward to, but it was meh at best. It felt too drawn out at times, and there are too many camera cuts of just water and grass. I think it was an accurate representation of Bray Wyatt from 2013 to 18. A good idea, but just boring in execution. We got a Noah from Vaughn who says, I haven't watched WWE in a few months and may have and have usually just been watching AEW. I, d- <laughs> I decided to check this show out because I had nothing else to do tonight. Uh, and then he says, uh, didn't catch the opening tag match, but did see everything else. I regret my decision and will likely go a few more months before watching this company again. I'm 20 years old and I'm shocked that this company isn't more popular with my age group. Like, who wouldn't like seeing vomit, eyes poked out, swamps, green mist, and Dolph Ziggler losing a title match at a B-level pay-per-view all in one show? One- <laughs> I like that Dolph Ziggler was on par with all those other examples as well. 1.5 out of 10 rating for me. The only reason it's not a 0 out of 10 is due to Sasha and Asuka killing it until the finish. Yeah. If you're watching this show expecting, like, G1, that's on you, man. Like, this show was built as the horror show at Extreme Rules. This match was built around a man getting his eyeball ripped out. Well, who's your audience right now? Like, we're getting down to hardcores that are following this. It's like, is this, is this the, like, this was a whole show of these examples. Is that what, what people want? Or are you, are the casual fans laughing at this stuff and not even tuning in? And your hardcore fans, like, they're left, they're left unsatisfied. Like, are you hitting enough people with this? style of show and maybe this was an extreme example of it with I, I just think this was all the ideas just they just felt like this month every all all things are a go any any wild ideas were down yeah well to me like it's it's absolutely back to the question of balance i think there there are people that might enjoy this type of thing but you can't just have this without the actual like solid strong wrestling to satisfy the other crowd too and perhaps in their mind NXT is the brand that you use to satisfy that audience. Not sure. Hey, let's go to Hanzi right now. Hanzi, please unmute yourself. What did you think of the horror show? 
at Extreme Rules. No, uh, yeah, listen, I, I, I give the pay-per-view a pass. It just some of the stuff. I'll, I'll give Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre credit. I wasn't looking forward to this match at all, but uh, I was curious to see what the stipulation was going to be. And I guess that's like the best you can probably do because Dolph Ziggler's not really built up as credible person, right? But uh, the swamp match, I, I really, it wasn't really for me. I mean, it was kind of entertaining, but it was probably one of their worst uh, cinematic matches. I did like uh, Rey Mysterio and Seth Rollins. I, I mean, Brian Alvarez's criticism aside, like he gets everyone going on Twitter. But like, I, I, I did. I just thought the match should have been more direct instead of doing all those moves, I guess, because the match stipulation was different for this one where you just got to take a guy's eye out. I, I, again, I, I enjoyed like the, the ending of it, but I, I, I'm with Pollock on like, I didn't really need to see the guy throw up, but I mean, I guess that kind of makes it a little bit more realistic, but overall I, I enjoyed it. Uh, Sasha and, uh, and Oscar, uh, Sasha and Oscar, well, it, it, I don't think it was their best match, but I mean that ending. I'll, I'll take, even though it was kind of crappy, whatever. I'll take a two woman power trip for a temporary basis. But uh, if 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 they do um, hold the title still, right? Do you guys anticipate that, like at SummerSlam, they'll be doing like triple duty, like like Bailey will defend her SmackDown, Sasha will defend Raw, and then defend the tag titles because I could see them since like they're being the workhorses but i want to know what you guys think and I'll, I'll leave you guys with those thoughts and you guys can answer when i'm off the air i guess thanks Hansi. no problem yeah i would say that like i don't have a clear idea of what you're doing with banks and bailey at SummerSlam, but i think coming out of tonight you'd feel pretty confident that they're not going to go to banks versus bailey at SummerSlam. that seems to be something they are going to hold off on and like you have to do the rematch between Banks and Oscar, but as they they've been loading up episodes of TV, like I could certainly see that being a Raw match as opposed to SummerSlam. I agree. I, they'll probably redo that match, um, but I think it's also a match that is big enough that you can redo at SummerSlam. Uh, certainly, they they see that there's a lot more life in this Bailey and Banks story. I mean, really, a lot more life in Bailey and Banks as a tag team because they're both on fire right now. So, um, no no need to to rush it caller you are on the air from area code 908 oh one hey guys second. can you hear me now we can yes how's it going hey it's paul hey paul hey uh so yeah just to piggyback off of what you guys were saying um i watched tonight with a couple uh casuals and a couple hardcore fans and this show pleased neither um well that's interesting yeah yeah i i because going into it i thought okay I'm going to watch this with my casual friends. Even if it's bad, it'll probably maybe be funny and enjoyable, but it really wasn't. And just two things I'll touch on that annoyed me was one, I do have to agree with John. Um, all the people I was watching it with, I think we were all looking forward most to the Sasha or uh, Sasha Oscar match, whether you were casual or hardcore. But after that, I thing, and we were all laughing hysterically with the vomit. I can tell people in the room were completely taken out of that match and it took them a little while to get into it. Um, so, you know, at least the people I watched felt that way. And like, um, I'll just leave you guys with this. Is it so, like, I initially thought the whole cage Moxley match or the finish was dumb, but then as I was talking to people and I was hearing you guys, I was like, ah, it is a finish and it makes sense. Why can't Bailey, who's been champion for like over a year, beat mid-card Nikki Cross, and she's just crying her eyes out to the point where the Kabuki Warriors and Alexa Bliss have to come out and get her, and I thought that would work a lot better because, like, I think 
uh, MJ said it in the watch along where you're trying to protect Nikki Cross. I think her just losing and looking like she's devastated would help her more than anything else. I just want to get you guys thoughts on that. I, I think that this company as a whole, I think that there's way too much of that paranoia of a loss hurting someone instead of the idea that that's, that's the point. It's not, it's the loss is going to set this character back and it's, the stories that opens up of how they they deal with that that loss and that where you can go with that. Like with Nikki Cross, I, I completely agree that you can get to your same destination and give people a winner and a loser. And there's stakes involved because it's like, oh, man, we went into this show where Nikki said she could not lose this match. We see her lose. How is she going to react to this and what's going to be the effect that this has on her character and the the ones around her. And I think that you can, you can tell a whole slew of stories uh, that way and, and get to the, the same destination. But I think often it just gets so much into, well, if we're going to beat this person, we have to do it in such a way that it's not going to be a full win for the person going over. And it's not going to be a full loss for the person that's losing. And therefore we, we get this. And it's to, to me, I, I, I think that that's been an issue for a long time. I felt the same way until I realized that she had lost twice leading into this program. And I think their thinking is that if we're going to give Nikki Cross a push following this, we have to give her some semblance of competence. She can't just lose two weeks ago. She can't just lose this past Friday and then lose clean tonight as well. Uh, and on top of that, I, they probably just think heels should cheat to win. Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying uh, to an extent, Way, because I, I know you're kind of explaining their thought process. I just think if if uh, Nikki Cross goes up against the Bailey and has such a great match and just at the, she just gets out-wrestled at the end, I think that protects her more than um, what they did. But yeah, I just felt like this show felt very Vince Russo-ish to me. I, I went through that, and I think just to your, uh, what John, I think, was saying is I don't think you're helping casual fans, and I don't think you're helping hardcore fans. But, uh, yeah, that's my thoughts, and thanks for taking my call, guys. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Uh, we'll go here to uh, Andrew from Cape Breton. It was a horror show, all right, just like WCW Nitro was. This might be an unpopular opinion, but here goes. Bray Wyatt is not creative. He reminds me of Jeff Hardy when he was trying to be Willow. Maybe Bray is hampered by WWE creative, but at the end of the day, he's supposed to be the star, and he could at least try to make things better. It does feel that because the Boneyard match was so successful that they think they're good at cinematic matches, but I don't think they are. Other than that, the matches were okay, but booked weird. I guess it's somewhat believable that in the state of Florida, you can get away with putting on a referee shirt <laughs> to become a referee and poking someone's eye out to end a match. WWE seemed like it tried to show off how they can do more than just wrestling, but they're really bad at it. No wonder their movie division has not been successful. A four out of 10 show. We're going to Joey from Queens who says it's been a while since I've watched any wrestling since I've been studying to get into law school. But once I saw that there was a match where the stipulation revolved around gauging, gouging someone's eye out. I knew I was in for a treat while I didn't get to watch all the show because it cut out after the pay-per-view proper ended. The show was better than it had any right to be. The crowd was lively, and it was a fun couple hours to spend not thinking about how fucked up our world is. I'm not sure how much wrestling I'll be watching in the foreseeable future, but this show was better than what I could have expected it to be. Well, there you go. Um, I don't know if this made you feel better about the world watching all, all of this tonight, but 
hey, if that's the impression you took away from it, then good for you. People have different like things they come to professional wrestling for. Some people want to come to these shows like wanting to see like really, I don't know, um, great athleticism. I guess some people just like watch to forget. And I don't know, maybe that's a low bar. Yeah, but I guess Joey was satisfied. We go to the uh, phones again. Brandon from New Jersey. What's going on? Hello? Hey, Brandon. What's up? Oh, the speaker's on? You're on. Oh, shit. The world Not is bad. listening. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, so did you I watch the I... pay-per-view tonight? <laughs> I did. I, 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 was, I, was, I was checking it out, and I was, I was doing the watch-along, too. So, uh, yeah, hey, it was cool. I... Uh, Shout-out to Up Next and their YouTube channel doing uh, watch-alongs for pretty much any pay-per-view now. They did one for Slammiversary last night. Uh, I tuned in partway through, and I actually, like, it was more fun watching the watch-along than, I, I, yeah, I caught fun. portions of the pay-per-view, too, but it was just fun seeing people's reactions to shit, and tonight, I'm sure it was no different. It, it, it's it's definitely a fun time watching the, the, their reaction to people watching Slammiversary that didn't buy Slammiversary. Yeah. So, okay. anyway, um, so, I guess, uh, I guess Ray's got to wear the, uh. The mask that uh, Brother Brudai uh, wore after the parasailing accident. No, oh, Brandon. An iPad. <laughs> what? Oh, hey, well, do that you, one, dude. That what would you didn't... like to see on Monday? On, on Monday, Brandon. How do you think they follow this up? Uh, I, 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 I hope Ray's got a creative like mask, mask, not 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 a luchador mask, like like uh like the the mask that the guy wore on uh uh. uh not, not, not like an Iron Maiden mask or something like that, or the the Prisoner of Zen that type of mask. Something displays like he lost his eye. How much I, of he Paul... didn't really lose? Huh? Go ahead. I was, I'm I was gonna ask how how much of Paul's uh, magic spray would probably have been used for <laughs> Seth Rollins' uh, vomit because they probably just used a whole batch on uh, Robert Stone's vomit last month, and now you've got uh, this. So when ratings are down, it's it's vomit time. That's that was the clear message. Got to sanitize the can't, ringside area. Can't can't hold us down, right? Right, right way. Can't hold us down. What? Oh, <laughs> uh, never mind. All right, I'm not. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I can't hold who down. Uh, it, it, it's a UFC joke. I'm my bad. It's from the the Dana White uh, propaganda video for Fight Oh. Out. You're you're right. going for the wrong target there with, with, with way Brandon, but I know. A, a great attempt, uh, much like this pay per view, didn't quite hit the mark. Yeah, uh, Rafael Fiziev is a bad dude though. He looked awesome last night. Those body kicks were vicious. On that Can- note, I'm out of here. Peace. Canada says uh, anytime you want to come up here, uh, you're welcome. Well, we're gonna trade the Toronto Blue Jays for Brandon from New Jersey. He's gone. All right, let's move on. Okay, we go to. Uh... Sorry, I think it's it's me. Yes, yeah. Jamie. Well, I won't forget this show in a hurry. Neither will my father-in-law, who hasn't watched since WCW, who came around with the promise of an eye gouge match, and he left soon after that wasn't delivered, which was a major <laughs> disappointment for all involved. He did find it funny, though. 
On the whole, though, I enjoyed the show's wrestling, which was pretty strong, especially Ray and Seth and both women's matches, with Asuka, Bailey, and Sasha continuing to be the best acts in the company. Sadly, the wrestling was let down by overall weirdness, like Seth vomiting and Sasha's win, in quotations. The only major down note was Drew. I think he's performing great, but that match gave me flashbacks to the worst days of Cena matches, where we all know the outcome, but we spend 20 minutes watching the babyface fight against absurd and escalating odds. Hope it's a one-off. I think that has to be a one-off, and... I think that was a big criticism. It was not a very viable challenger. It wasn't an interesting storyline that they had attached to this. And it was just, hey, it's the pay-per-view. And Drew's got to wrestle on the pay-per-view. And this is the best we've got because uh, we're not going to put Lashley in here for a second month in a row. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't imagine he was like their first choice for an opponent this month. And uh, yeah, I can't see them doing it again. I thought that they did the best of what they, they had. Uh, they had a good match. I, I really didn't have any issue with, with the actual presentation of the match tonight. We got Alex from Portland who says, Asuka and Sasha could have been a classic had that ending not occurred. It felt like I was watching versions of their peaks from NXT. The fans in attendance have been spur- uh, apoplectic. People on the edges of their seats. That ending would have vociferously booed had it had, would have been vociferously booed had it appear- happened in front of an audience. Feel some of the screwy finishes done on tonight's show were done so the rematches could happen on TV in an attempt to slow the ratings decline. I haven't been on board with the Strowman Express gimmick, so hopefully he gets something more intimidating. This show will make for an insanely fun rewind away in a few years. Question. Sasha and Bailey seem like the hottest act in WWE right now. Do you think it would be too soon to break them up for a SummerSlam feud? Yes. Yeah, I think now it certainly would be way too rushed, and I, I wouldn't be a fan of it happening now. Let me ask you this. So... You know, we talked about it the the other night, the idea that, you know, for these these kinds of tape matches to air them in, you know, it's one thing for an Undertaker Boneyard match if you ever did another one like that. So let's just assume this was a regular pay-per-view. Where would you have aired that swamp fight? And what reaction do you think that would have been for the live crowd there to get 20 minutes of that? And is that a is that a major priority if you're the company of who your audience is uh, an arena versus the people at home? I don't think they would be going 20 minutes if it was, you know, a live crowd. Um, I think if something has a lot of buzz attached to it and something that has stakes attached to it, like, it, like again, if you advertise the Boneyard match too, because the first one was so well received, I definitely feel like an audience would be, would have the patience sitting down live for it, much like they would to sit down for, a, a, you know, a movie that would be heavily anticipated. Um, and, and, and again, like watching with a crowd would to me, is an experience on its own, but it has to be good. That is the thing. Like, you can't tell me that somebody will sit. Man, you, you give the audience Street Profits and Viking Raiders the greatest match of all time? I have um, no doubt in my mind that is going to be your worst match of the year because no one has brought it up as consistently as you have. In talking you, about You were scarred from that, and I don't blame you either. In talking about cinematic matches, that, to me, is just, like, one of the worst examples that, that comes to mind. Um, but, uh... You play, you play that to an audience, um, you might get some people that are pretty upset. But it's a risk because all these matches people clearly have very different reactions to. Um, now, if you played something like, um, what is it, uh, Stadium Stampede, how do you think an ADW audience would react to that? Yeah, at the same length of – I think that that was – I always look at like how it would play inside of an arena because you're – it's a very different experience versus like watching it on your TV or your laptop where you can hear everything clearly and all the jokes are going to land with you. 
And I always wonder, like, how will that transfer to an arena setting? Um, because I think Stadium Stampede, I think that was like a tremendously entertaining uh, entire presentation. Airing it, though, in an arena and for that length of time, I, I still don't know if it would have been if it, if it still would have landed that well with with people in an arena. See, they've done certainly they've done matches that have like gone to the back. I think you would readjust Stadium Stampede to to have more of an in-ring live component. Like, you know, the finish would probably have to be live in attendance, but you could still do your ridiculousness on the TV pre-taped. They would definitely have to adjust it to include the crowd, but I definitely feel like you can, you know, incorporate elements of it. And even if they were to do another Boneyard match or a Firefly Funhouse match, I think ultimately it would have to end in something involving the audience in-ring in person. All right, I'm going to go to Nick from Lansing here. Oh, before you do that, maybe we should go to uh, Neil, who's been uh, on the line right now. Neil, what's up? Hello, Way. Hello, John. Hey, nice to hear from you. Thanks very much. It's nice to talk to you. It's been a few weeks, so it's great to talk to you, even in these trying circumstances. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I agree that the story of this pay-per-view, I agree with John that the story of the pay-per-view as a wrestling fan is that WWE has some of the best wrestlers in the world. Um, and of course, they're capable of having terrific matches, but the booking, the creative is what lets them down. And some of these finishes tonight, you know, I'm on board with the viewpoint that says, you know, we had some good matches ruined by uh, bad finishes. I mean, if I could zero it on the eye for, an eye, eye for an eye match, as was said, I mean, it was presented deadly serious. It was presented by the pre-show hosts, the announcers, very straight faced, very serious, very grave. So the stipulation, you know, these characters are supposed to be in a fight to save their own eyesight. And the only way to do it is to gouge their opponent's eye out. I mean, so a fight like that is going to be, I mean, I don't want to apply, I don't want to be a killjoy and try to apply too much logic here, but I think it's pretty basic stuff that a fight like that is going to be a desperate scrap. It's not going to be Hurricane Rana's frog splashes and trying to hit the 619 you know so i just couldn't i couldn't suspend my disbelief for that for that at all and in general there was sorry right um so the stipulation you feel was too serious and too severe for um to use as a backdrop for a wrestling match for a pro wrestling match yeah now, I get your point of view, way, which is possibly that in this universe, th- that's how these guys fight. So they're maybe trying to wear down the opponent to the point where they can take mm-hmm. the eye out. And maybe, you know, maybe that's what's going on. So I see both of your points of view with it. But like, like with that logic, wouldn't every wrestling match be a ra- like a fight, like a fist fight with like, you know, like, wouldn't it look like an MMA fight? Every match. Yeah. yeah, well, okay. The yeah, goal is to pin I, your opponent's shoulders to the mat. I wouldn't do a Hurricane Rana in that sense. I think what you have to look at as well is that this is this to me is no different than the same mindset for the Edge-Orton match last month in that this could have been, I think, a much easier match to deliver to people if it was simply based off the angle to Ray. Ray is coming back, and and it's Seth saying, you take this match, if I get a chance... I'm going to take out your eye and you don't take it literally, 
but you know that this is the mm-hmm. angle that you're building it off of. And Ray is coming for revenge. And instead it was, no, we have to make this the absolute selling point so that every single person is literally told you've got to pull a man's eyeball out of his socket to win mm-hmm. this match so that you would. And listen, look at our feedback. There was definitely curiosity because of that. But to me, you could have done this as an old school, like grudge match. And instead they wanted to take it like 10 steps further to just hit you over the head, much like the thinking was for the greatest wrestling match ever. And so, b- with these taglines that they believe is going to in- increase interest in a show. I, th- I think you're absolutely right, John. And, and it's exactly that type of thinking that we're seeing every one of these B-level pay-per-views now surrounded by a hook. And the hook is either you're going to see the greatest tag match ever or you go- are going to see a man get his eye pulled out and... That is clearly their promotional tactic here, because otherwise I I can see that they don't just want to promote a show based off of straight up wrestling matches that to them uh, seems ineffective, ineffective. Yeah. And ultimately, it's going to come down to like what what kind of business did they see like that this did for the network? Like, is this. Is this turning people off? Is it actually are people curious, but are they curious enough to actually sign up for the network to watch this? Um, Are they seeing any differences um, in terms of this style of presentation that I I don't think they're going to take the take their foot off the gas when it comes to this promotion either? I imagine that this is going to be their playbook for the time being. Yeah, I would have to say that, I mean, I agree with all of that. I can get on board with that for sure. That The stipulation was definitely an attention grabber. I mean, it, it had me staying up for the first time in a long time to to watch live. Um, but taken literally, as you said, John, that I'm going to pull your eye out or whatever, it's that's unbookable. It's it's going to be, you know. Yeah, well, there's a, I, there's a I, backlash to it. There's there's the the curiosity of it. But I can guarantee you that if they spent four hard weeks promising that two men are going to fight and one of them is going to die in the middle of the ring, I'm <laughs> sure there would be some curiosity from that. But with that comes, how do you come out of that? And are people to people that are tuning in for the sheer curiosity of an eyeball rolling out? Is that someone that their one night of interest is going to translate to uh, a pattern of fandom that you're going to you're going to keep that fan? I think that those audience members that you so covet are not ones that are fans of your product. They are fans of a spectacle. Um, They may be a lapsed fan. They may never watch Raw ever. But I don't think coming out of this, that makes them a fan either. Uh, It's. They're interested in seeing some weird shit. And those are the fans that <laughs> I wouldn't be I wouldn't be bending over backwards to grab because I don't think they're within my reach. I would want to be mm-hmm. satisfying my base at a time when they're whittling away weekly with these numbers. So that's right. that's, that's to me the balancing act that they are playing with right now. Yeah. Could I, could I ask just while I have you both still there? Um, um, did, did you spot the prosthetic eyeball at all? Because from what you said earlier, it seems as though yeah. you didn't. Oh, you did see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. David Bixon spans Twitter is probably the quickest yeah, so, way. So in a brief shot, like you could see an eyeball in yeah. Ray's hand, like as he's holding his face. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it looks like a ping pong ball with some felt tip red. I don't think it. it was his real eyeball. I don't, I don't think it was. No, I have a feeling it might not have been, John. I think you're right. But I mean, finally just, I mean, there was, there was nothing on the show that came close to my wrestling moment of the week which was Vicky Guerrero's new theme tune. 
Oh, it's, it's stuck great. with me. It's fantastic. It's stuck with me all week. And particularly how her laugh at the end of the promo just blended in with it coming back, being brought back up in the sound mix. It was fantastic. I, I actually and, know the the person who, like, uh, somebody tagged, the, oh, Ruckus. His name is Mikey Ruckus. He actually, he's the guy who produced it. So uh, excellent. credit to, at Mikey Ruckus. I'm looking forward to being available on Spotify. And um, nice to talk to you guys after uh, a little mini break. Um, Thank you, Neil. Speak, speak to you soon. Appreciate Thank the you. call. Bye-bye. All right, we go back to the forum. And uh, Nick from Lansing, I'm going to just zip through some of these. Um, the opening tables match was clever. It built well. Nikki showed a lot of fire and heart against Bailey. Oscar and Sasha was the standout in-ring match with a finish that might be met with some criticism. Drew and Dolph was better than I expected. And in terms of the Swamp match... Uh, I was into it the minute an evil version of Braun showed up. It was weird and different and pushed Braun's character in ways we haven't seen before. Even them using Alexa as a representation of his temptation was an interesting bit of character subtext being brought to light. The the cinematches seemed to be the most divisive things on pay-per-views, but I appreciated their efforts. I even bit on the false finish when they flashed the logo until Bray's hand popped out. What an ending. All right, we go to, uh, let's make this the last one here. Richard from yep. Peterborough, who says, Hey guys, long time listener, first time writing in. I thought the show was okay for what it was. The wrestling was average to good, and almost everything went as I expected it would. The only thing that caught me off guard was New Day dropping the SmackDown titles to Cesaro and Nakamura. I should be glad that the belts are on someone new, but I personally don't see them as a proper tag team yet. But I'm sure that, that'll come with time. The WWE title match really dragged for me because we all knew that Dolph wasn't winning. And stacking the odds against Drew really shoved it in our faces even harder. The Swamp fight was very odd. Quick cuts and the dark environment made it hard to follow at times. Also, who are the other people attacking Braun? Um, well, groundskeepers. Yeah, at, at least one, one might be dead. So, I mean, it's uh, it doesn't... Uh, maybe they're all... They were just the putty patrol. I mean, like, they're, they're his version of the druids that you saw in the... Um, what is it? The fire uh, Boneyard match. Yes. Since when did Bray have new followers? Old Braun attacking, uh, attacking current Braun was interesting, as was seeing Alexa... Are we to assume that The Fiend ate Braun by the end of this? The fake ending got me, only because I wouldn't put it past WWE to end it in the lame way it appeared to have ended before Bray came back out of the water. A Nate Milton special 6 out of 10 show for me. Thanks for all the hard work you do. And we got no alligator, as promised. Damn. Well, maybe the, the alligator was underwater. Maybe that's what happened. Yeah. I would like the perspective of the alligator. Get the, get the GoPros out. We, we got no GoPros this month. Uh, oh, we did. Ha- I think there was a brief Go- GoPro type of shot in the uh, swamp. Was there? Maybe. Okay. Um, final thoughts, Way, on Extreme Rules. I think you were a bit higher on this show than me. I, I didn't enjoy the show all that much. Um, but now we shift focus and we've got Randy Orton and Big Show on Monday night, which I do have a correction that the promo, 15 years in the making, it was a separate Randy Orton promo for the Brock Lesnar match because FS1 is airing SummerSlam on Tuesday night. And that was the match that was 15 years in the making. So I take the L on that one. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, all right. So tomorrow, Orton and Big Show. And I guess we start the direction for SummerSlam. They're taping two episodes of Raw on Monday and then two episodes of SmackDown on Tuesday. So they're doing uh, a bunch of tapings over the next 48 hours. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll see uh, you know what the pieces are. I mean, it's five weeks, right, till SummerSlam. But yeah, so we two, yeah we three, get five four, weeks. Five. five weeks to SummerSlam, which tells me that they they might not even necessarily start all the programs. Um, well, even most of the programs tomorrow. And are we going to get more of these TV quote unquote like 
pay-per-view caliber matches being set up in the weeks leading up to it. Well, and we can also look that the SmackDown number, while it was, I mean, it wasn't a great number they did on Friday for AJ Styles and Matt Riddle. So it wasn't as though Hmm. that was enough to carry SmackDown. I mean, it was still a relatively low number when you're comparing to how they've done on Fox. So um, tomorrow's attempt is with Big Show and Randy Orton. And then we've got the bar fight on SmackDown on Friday, which I don't know how that would have fit in on this show tonight. Oh, God. Yeah, I don't think that would have been been met very well. The length was the the biggest positive. I, I was oh. really happy that they 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 are keeping these smaller shows to you know two and a half to three hours tops. I think that is a big plus for these shows. Uh, the Apollo situation is interesting to me. I mean, I would assume it's something probably like that's not permanent and that he will be available. Um, that's my assumption. I have no idea what's going on, but um, well, if he's you know, he wasn't available tonight, and if he's not available tomorrow, then that means he's off TV for the next two weeks. Right, right. Yeah, we'll so, see. But if he I mean, that's to- one of the things with taping ahead so far is that they have to pretty much have their plans in place. And I, I think we should get some SummerSlam hints tomorrow, if not, um, you know, certainly on the first episode. The, the second episode is when you really have to start the, the, mm-hmm. the main directions. But if he is available, you could assume that you would probably see that match. On one of these editions of Raw. Yes. Yeah. That could very likely be where, where they go with uh, Apollo Crews and MVP do that, I guess, unification match if that's what you're going to bill it as. So there you go, everybody. That was the horror show at Extreme Rules. And thank you. Hey, for- before we go, did you want to oh. get into the Gallows and Anderson? I think we can hold that off. Okay. Let's uh, let's chat about that tomorrow. There's probably a, a lot to that interview. Um, did, did you watch it? I did. Yeah. Uh, let, let's let's spend a few minutes then. What were some of your big uh, takeaways from this was a two hour interview they did uh, late Friday night uh, going over why they resigned with WWE last year, how deep talks were with AEW and then the release that happened in April for both of them, which seemed to definitely um, I think caught both off guard. But really, it was Carl Anderson that I think was really upset about the fact that they were cut. You know, uh, it, this was on Talking Shop. It was like a, a big countdown thing uh, that they did to the end of their contracts. And uh, it was hosted by Ryan Satin. And uh, Rocky Romero sat in as well, who's a usual co-host of Talking Shop, I believe. And uh, it, it just felt like, I mean, it felt like one of those old school shoot interviews where these guys were, uh, it seemed like they were pretty honest about like really anything. And the things that stood out the most to me were any time that they talked about their uh, final moments or days at, at at the WWE, the the extent of their contract negotiations, how they were very close to signing with AEW, and last minute they decided to go with the bigger money offer that Paul Levesque helped uh, orchestrate for them at WWE, which they said probably rubbed their good friends in the Bucks and maybe some other people at AEW uh, in in very wrong ways, and they they expressed regret about it, uh, expressed regret about plans that they were initially going to debut on the first edition of dynamite in some sort of reformation of a bullet club that would end up with them, I guess, turning on the bucks or something like that. Turning on the bucks and Kenny Omega. And that was, you know, Anderson said he really regrets that they didn't bet on themselves and go do that. Um, And they were scheduled to meet with Tony Khan right before um, they, they agreed to the, the, the renewal with WWE right before the meeting with Tony Khan. So, you know, obviously it seemed that AEW 
like the way they they characterized it, it you know they met with the bucks and it seemed like the bucks ran this all the way up and they were it seemed like those in AEW were pretty confident these guys are coming in and maybe they felt it was more of a lock than it really was and they and, acknowledged and the fact yeah. that they didn't get them probably made the bucks look bad yeah yeah, definitely. They said that it's water under the bridge now with the Bucks, but with other AEW executives, there's probably still hard feelings. And I think that's, you know, probably evident to the fact that they're going to impact and they're not going to AEW. And, um, beyond that, it's, they, oh, they, yeah, the Heyman stuff. Well, um, just finishing up on like the, the contract stuff and then we can talk about Heyman was they said it was a big mistake for us to go there, but at the same time, it's like, they got money offers that I think would be really hard for a lot of people to turn down. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they acknowledge it was a mistake, but it's like that's – they made a business decision. And it, the people in AEW, they don't name specifically who is upset with them, but uh, they have a right to be upset too if they felt they were led to believe that these guys were coming. And we don't know how how committed Anderson and Gallows may have been. Like if they told them, hey, this is a done deal, we're coming, and it turns out they didn't when they got this unexpected offer, then you would you would understand the AEW side being upset. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of the particulars that I, I found pretty interesting were, were, were how they got into the fact that like WWE, the contract that they did sign would have been their last contract or at least uh, what would have been thought to be their last contract. And that seemed to be the promise that Hunter made them too. The fact that we, you know, you don't know if AEW is going to be here in a couple of years. You could sign with this and this will be the last contract you sign because it was. And he said, he said specifically to Carl Anderson, when I look at you, I see your kids. And (laughs) what if AEW isn't around? And that's a line that that's I I don't like that's that's the thing that this this applies to UFC. This applies to WWE. This applies to all wrestlers and fighters is that you sign this contract. And what was all the talk when Mike Bennett resigned last year and then there was word that he wanted out and the the prevailing response was you signed a contract. You have to honor the contract. But when we flip that around, it doesn't seem like that same onus is on the company who signs you to X amount of years and their responsibility is 90 days when we decide to cut you. It goes both ways. Yep. Like you signed a contract and these guys signed a contract trusting WWE and in the, and in return ended up, you know, upsetting your main competitor. So they, they really got screwed in the, in this whole thing because the, in April they find themselves cut by WWE and AEW doesn't appear to be an option for them. So it seems like they're going to be okay. They've got, uh, they, they classified it as a great deal with impact, which, they said a big factor was that when we were talking with companies last year, Impact was one of them who presented us a much better offer than we anticipated from them. And they presented us close to the same offer this year. Plus, they'll have New Japan. So, I mean, they're going to come out of this fine, it seems like. But they they would have reason to be upset. And to segue over, they have directed a lot of that anger at Paul Heyman. And the story that they shared was that when AJ found out about them being cut, uh, they they had heard through someone unnamed that Paul Heyman had a say in this, that this was influenced by Paul Heyman, them being cut. So AJ Styles went to Heyman, who denied that. So AJ then goes to Vince McMahon, stating, is this true? Was this inspired by Paul Heyman? And according to Anders and Gallows, 
McMahon's response was, well, Anderson and Gallows weren't on my list, but yeah. And he pretty much just threw Heyman here as the, the, the person to blame. Who felt that they were, Heyman thought they were making too much money for what they were doing. So the part of that story that you have to then acknowledge, okay? And let's, let's just go with the theoretical that that happened, okay? He, they weren't on this list and Heyman brought up their names. That only happens if Vince McMahon then responds, you're right. That's a good idea. Oh, yeah. They're, yeah. they're and, gone. And, and those two said, said as much, too. But um, I, I, I do find that thought process pretty interesting. The fact that, like, so much of it was directed towards Paul. And from not just from Gallows and Anderson, but reportedly from AJ as well, who, who according to Carl, uh, what Luke Gallows, gave them free reign to, like, bury um, uh, Paul Heyman on his behalf. In fact, like, I believe, like, he did a Patreon Q&A where he, he's been pretty upfront about it, too. And they said that's why AJ was moved to SmackDown, because he didn't want to work with Paul. Now, in all of this, like, you know, the fact is, like, again, it's Vince McMahon wants them there. They're there. That's that's what it comes down to. Um, they did have these big contracts. But on top of it, like, look at it from the perspective of Gallows and Anderson. Could they have predicted what happened in the last 12 months in their careers? And Nobody could e- no, exactly. And even now, I don't think you can say, is it 100% I never circle back and may work with WWE again? So it does me no good to go after Vince McMahon and more so Paul Levesque, who I think escapes a lot of criticism from talent um, that probably oh bite their God. tongue publicly because, you know, that line about Paul Levesque, Anderson would have free reign to absolutely skewer that guy. For so, what's interesting is that like the they actually said that they believe if Paul was in charge that they wouldn't be fired because Paul had always or Heyman had sorry Levesque had always told them that they would use him in NXT. Um, I mean, obviously this is their personal relationship, so they would know better than you and I speculating on their words. Um, it does seem interesting how, yeah, he does kind of come away from this. Yeah. And listen, that's, I'm not even criticizing. Like, I think talent, it's, it's one thing to leave WWE and you believe you're never going back there, but I think few would ever want to burn that bridge. And Paul Levesque would represent like the next potential leader. So it does you no favors to, um, you know, even, even if privately you might be upset. And they were asked, has Paul Levesque called you since you were let go? No, he had not. Um, said no, which, but but I, I believe Gallows also said he doesn't know if Hunter is allowed to. Um, yeah, I mean that that might be that might be the case. Um, anyway, those I guess those were the major notes. They did talk a bit about um, the Saudi Arabia stuff from from last November, oh, and yeah. they they brought up that you know they said they never felt in any kind of danger, and I you know that's pretty. Did they say that. They said they never felt in any imminent danger, like it was a hostage situation, but it was very tense on the plane is what they said. And I I don't think this is a question where you could realistically look and say that any of these people were physically in any danger. But I think the question becomes, um, was the so they they shared the story that through a production friend of theirs, this person heard through the headset about cutting the feed and i think that there is enough evidence like towards this feed being cut right down to 
the fact that um, Anderson and Gallows are now sharing that story. The lawsuit claims that Mark Carano said that story. You had Hugo Savinovich, who said he had heard straight from Stanford through his sources about the feed being cut. And on top of that, that day, you had tweets from viewers that were tweeting the broadcaster asking why the show wasn't on. So clearly, like, it's it seems pretty clear that this this feed was cut. Now, was it completely separate from whatever happened with this plane? Was it just a complete coincidence that there was this conflict over the feed and a problem with the plane? Maybe. But I think other people are looking at it. Was was there an issue with the plane because of this other conflict? And we're just going to delay these guys and create headaches for this company that created headaches for us. And I think that I don't know if we'll ever get the answer to that. I don't know either, but I think um, something that we 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 can say is that like in this particular interview, like they were pretty much you know saying, do we feel like something shady went on? They said absolutely yes. So uh, again, the truth might. Who knows if it'll ever come out? But but certainly the paranoia that's been reported that the performers have experienced that have been on this ride uh, is very real. At least yeah, in this is case. this is not unfounded. And I think that it's ultimately, I don't know if we'll ever get like a clear, you know, if, if there was anything, you know, nefarious beyond a mechanical problem, I don't know who's going to come out and, and ever, you know, state that unless they were under oath somewhere. Um, no. And that's, at some point you have to ma- draw your own, uh, maybe we wait for like a dark side of the ring, you know, <laughs> to really investigate it. Honestly, at this point, like it's, it would be a... I guess it would be a bit more of a current topic, and I don't know how many people you'd get to speak on it, but if that show keeps going on, it's like, yeah, definitely. Anyway, so that was Anderson and Gallows. Uh, you can go listen to the whole thing. It's about two hours on their uh, Talking Shop podcast uh, from Friday, and then they popped up on uh, Slammiversary on Saturday night. Did you catch any of Slammiversary? Yeah, I mean, as I, as I said, I caught actually a lot of it through the watch-along. Um, I just, I, I found a bit more interest in, in seeing their reactions to like all the names popping up, but I did catch the main event. Yeah. Uh, well, um, honestly, I, I wasn't watching close enough to really give my thoughts on it and I, I'm not following the product anyway. I thought you, Nate and Davey did a great job, uh, really kind of encompassing a lot of the thoughts. So I encourage everybody to listen to that on the feed right now. That's the only answer I was really fishing for. So good. Uh, okay. you pass with flying colors. <laughs> uh, as did all of you for tuning into this show. So thank you. We're going to be back on Monday night with Rewind to Raw chatting about the unsanctioned match and whatever else happens on Raw. We'll go through the latest news and a look ahead to the week ahead here at postwrestling.com. So uh, in the meantime, we've got the Slammiversary post show up from Saturday night. So you can go listen to that with myself, Davey and Nate Milton. But that's it. Goodbye, everybody. The horror show has concluded.